Uh, Walking the line between truth and love can be difficult. Like when your friend asks you whether she should enter the singing competition, except she's terrible. Do you tell the truth or do you protect her feelings? Or your overseas cousin drops in to stay for a few days. One month later and they're still there and not showing any signs of moving, do you continue to show loving hospitality or pack their bags and leave the bags on the front doorstep? Truth, love. Or your best friend is making terrible decisions about relationships. You speak up and challenge her and risk losing the friendship or do you keep quiet and watch a train wreck unravel? But it's not just private relationships. We're seeing the same difficulty in society in general. Uh, Think about the same sex marriage debate. Some Christians, some churches emphasise the truth uh, at the expense of love, I think, and the message received was Christians hate gay people. Other churches and individuals emphasise love at the expense of truth. And the message received was God doesn't care how people live, that there is no right or wrong, there is no judgement. How do you navigate between the two? Between loving someone, affirming, accepting and welcoming them and upholding the truth, which may mean disagreeing with them, saying or doing something they don't like, being branded as intolerant or bigoted. In today's culture, truth and love seem to be like oil and water You can't mix them together. In fact, the way most people think, there is no such thing as absolute truth, especially when it comes to morality, what's right and wrong. Each person makes their own meaning. Each person decides what's right and wrong and other people have no right, no basis on which to say their choices are wrong. And it's intolerant or bigoted to disagree with someone's moral choices. It's unloving to force your truth onto someone else as if it's their truth as well, as if there was some universal truth. That's certainly the way it's worked in the last couple of weeks with Israel Folau. He was asked on Twitter what God's plan was for gay people and he answered with truth. Now, there were probably better ways he could have expressed it, there were probably other things he also could have said, But his reply was biblical truth. No one is arguing that. His reply was that just like all of us, we're destined for hell unless we repent from our sins and turn to God. Now he's been abused and threatened and accused of being homophobic and hating gays, ironically enough, all using the language of diversity and inclusiveness and acceptance and rights. Uh, while his critics won't allow him uh, the right to a different opinion. So how can Christians live and relate and speak in a world like this, the world we're living in today? Is it possible to have a grip on the truth and to hold it with love? Well, here in his second letter, John says yes. In fact, he says you can't separate them. You can't have love without truth or truth without love. Look, for example, at verses 1 to 6. 
skim your eye over it and you'll see that truth is mentioned five times, love is mentioned five times and you can't separate them. Verse 1 begins, The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Not only I but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Let's just stop there. He's writing to the chosen lady and her children. It could be a family, but it's almost certainly a church. Uh, The children are members of the church and he's personifying the church. He's calling the church a lady. A little bit like what he does in Revelation when he calls the church a bride. Uh, It makes sense at the end of the letter. Just jump down to verse 13 and you can see John adds a greeting. And he says, the children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Now, once again, that could be a family, but that's most likely and it makes most sense if it's the members of another church, probably where John is at the moment, saying hello to this church. So what we have, John is writing to the people in a church somewhere. And love and truth is two big themes. We'll find out why in a moment. Uh, So verse 1 begins, he loves them in the truth. Well, what does that mean? It means something like he loves the church in a way that's consistent with the truth of the gospel message, the truth about Jesus. He loves in a way that's consistent with the truth that he knows and believes. But it's not just him. Verse 1 says, all who know the truth also love this church. Knowing truth goes with love. And then verse 2 we read, all of verse 1 happens because of the truth. In other words, the love they're able to show comes from the truth that is in them. Uh, The truth about who Jesus is and what he expects of us works itself out in love. And verse 2 says that that truth is in them all and will be with them all forever. That message, that reality, that objective truth, those, uh, those things that we believe about Jesus, they're not temporary, they're not uncertain. Just like the Holy Spirit himself, those truths will be with us. They'll influence and guide us forever. It's the first two verses. Verse 3, truth and love are there again. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. What does that mean? I think something like this. God blesses and equips Christians as they live consistently with the truth they know and the love that they show. God's life of Christian blessing comes as Christians live out the truth and show love. Will be with us in truth and love. Uh, verse four. Paul moves from this sort of uh, sorry. John moves from this general uh, into the more particular. Uh, verse four. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. Probably what's happened is he's met some members of the church he's writing to 
in some other location and, and he's overjoyed that this little section of that church are living out the truth that they know. They're walking in truth. Then in verse 5 he moves from this other group, uh, from the past towards the present and his attention turns to the church he's writing to. A command that they've had from the beginning, the truth that lives with them. He says, here's the command you've had, the truth that lives in you, love one another. That's the truth there to walk in, loving one another. And then we come to verse 6, which I think gets to the heart of all he said so far. So it's, it's, it's like the pinnacle of these first six verses. A short, clear summary of the message. Verse 6, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Now, love for who? Well, it could be love for God. Uh, it could be love for each other. I think from the context, everything he said in the first five verses, it's almost certainly love for each other. This is the love that you have for each other. So if that's the case, what does it then mean? This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. What, what does that mean? You show your love for the brothers by obeying God's commands towards them and by encouraging them to also obey God's commands. That's how you show your love for people, by obeying God's commands towards them. My love equals obedience to the truth. Love is how I live out the truth of God's commands. For example, if I love my neighbour, I won't steal from him. I won't hurt him, I won't lie to him, I won't covet his possessions. Uh, my love for him will be shown in my obedience to God's commands towards him. But not only that, I will encourage him to also keep God's commands because that's the way for him to receive the grace, mercy and peace of God's blessings, uh, as verse 3 says, uh, in truth and love. He will be blessed as he uh, loves and lives out truth. Uh, Let's flip it around. You are not loving towards a victim if you overlook the injustice committed against him. You are not loving towards somebody who's bullied if you keep quiet. You're not loving the vulnerable if you overlook protecting them. That's not loving. You're not loving towards those who've been damaged if you fail to bring to justice those who are doing the damaging. You're not loving the ignorant if you fail to warn them of danger. Loving people might mean being firm, speaking the truth, aggressively protecting, demanding justice. Love can be all of those things. Loving people may mean being intolerant against things which are hurting them. Uh, Josh McDowell makes this point in uh, a new book he's written called The Beauty of Intolerance. Uh, The Beauty of Intolerance. He says it's not loving to tolerate error or behaviour that's damaging. It's actually loving to stand up for truth. It's actually loving to be intolerant of those things. 
He describes a T-shirt he sometimes wears. On the front it says, Intolerance is a beautiful idea. And that gets quite a lot of attention until he turns around and on the back it says, Mother Teresa was intolerant of poverty. Nelson Mandela was intolerant of apartheid. Martin Luther King was intolerant of racism. Do you see his point? Love speaks the truth. Love stands up for those who are being hurt. You can't separate love and truth. So this is all in the general so far, isn't it? We're not getting down to why John's actually written the letter. Well, we finally do, verse 7. Uh, the connection between verse 6 and 7 is a little more obvious in some other translations in the NIV. There's actually a, a for or a because at the beginning of verse 7. Uh, and so the logic goes something like this. Verse 6, love is walking in obedience to God's commands because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Those deceivers are the opposite. They're not loving They're not walking in obedience. They're not speaking the truth. And the way you deal with them will show whether you are loving the brothers and walking in obedience or not. Perhaps he's heard the news from those church members he was describing in verse 4. But it seems like travelling preachers had visited this church and they brought with them some form of heresy, some false teaching. They were literally those not confessing Jesus Christ coming in flesh. Now that present tense coming, it could just mean has come in the past when he first came to earth, but it could also mean they didn't believe he was coming back in flesh. His his resurrection and his ascension weren't physical. It was some sort of spiritual thing that happened as well as not believing that Jesus was fully human when he came to earth. You see, Jesus becoming a man, it's the core of Christianity. Every other Christian doctrine, I reckon, maybe we can have a think about it at morning tea, I reckon every other Christian doctrine depends on that truth, that God in Jesus became a human being. If you deny that, It's like dominoes, everything else falls over. You end up denying everything. There is no salvation if there's no God-man. There's no justification. There's no forgiveness. There's no new life. There's no spirit indwelling. There's no resurrection. You deny that, everything falls over. It's no wonder John gives such a warning, a strong warning against this sort of teaching. Watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for. So what are they to watch for? Here's the test, verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's the false teaching. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The true teaching, it's what he said back in verse 2. All who know the truth uh, lives in uh, the, the truth lives in them and will be with them forever. They will continue in that. That's the true teaching. But the false teachers haven't stayed. 
They've moved. It's the difference between walking and running. Did you notice that? Uh, The true Christians are to walk in the truth. They're to walk in love. Uh, They're to stay close to Jesus, to what the apostles have taught. They're to be content with that, to, to walk. But the false teachers run ahead like a dog that you let off the lead. They don't want to hang around. They're gone. They speculate. They want to improve. They're looking for the shortcut, the secret path to the victorious life. They're looking for the special knowledge. And so when you come across someone and your warning bells go off as they say something about who Jesus is, here's the test. Ask them, so who's Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? It's where all the cults go wrong. Whether it's the JWs or the Mormons or a whole lot of others, who is Jesus? That's the test. He's fully, eternally God and fully man. He's not less than either. He's not the appearance of a man. And he's still resurrected, physical man, God in flesh at God's right hand. And all of the cults will drop the ball at some one of those points somewhere along the way. And John says if they fail that test, here's what you do. Up till this point it's all been theory. Now we get practical. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the true teaching, Do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Now, those days there were no motels to stay in. The visiting preachers would turn up at a local church, introduce themselves. Perhaps they'd have a reference from one of the pillars of the church or another church. Uh, And this church where they'd arrived would support them, feed them, give them money, accommodate them. And John's saying, if you provide that sort of support for these false teachers, you're actually partnering with them in error. You're not living out the truth, you're living out error. And if you show them hospitality, you're not loving. That's not love, that's fellowship, fellowshipping in wicked work. John's already told us in the first half of his letter, love and walking in truth can't be separated. You show that you love and protect the church by standing up against that false teaching. You show you love by being intolerant of false teaching. Now John is not talking about you or I inviting someone who's not a Christian into our home. He's not saying that. So don't hear me saying you must only... Invite people who believe absolutely everything about you, the same as you, into your home. He's not saying that. Jesus ate with people whose way of life he disapproved of, who didn't believe anything about him. So, So John's not saying that. Invite Mormons into your house. Give them a cup of tea. Try and convince them. Uh, Invite your non-Christian neighbours over for a barbecue. Absolutely. I'm not talking about those things. John is talking about giving official approval and support and equip, equipping to false teachers who are leading people astray. Don't do that, he says. 
He's also not talking about minor differences we might have with other Christians. Differences of opinion. There's lots of things Christians differ on. How we describe our salvation. How we live out Christian experience. How you baptise. When you baptise. What worship looks like. What will happen when Jesus returns. What version of the Bible to read. All, All sorts of things we can agree to disagree on or have respectful, loving dialogue about. We can still work together in Christian love and hospitality. John's not talking about those sorts of things. These false teachers are not Christian. Don't encourage that sort of teaching. John's thinking about this sort of thing. It is not loving to you if I allow the Buddhist society to meet in our hall. Don't do that, says John. Uh, It's not loving to you if I invite the Dalai Lama to speak in our church on his next visit to Australia or if I invite the local Muslim imam to speak. It's It's not loving of me towards the kids at... Ashfield Primary School if I invite the local Mormon pastor to come and teach scripture there. That's not loving for me to do that. And John would say, don't donate money to the Hare Krishnas, don't pay money to attend a Scientology advancement training seminar, Uh, don't support a Muslim charity. Those sorts of things I think are supporting and encouraging false teaching. Now there's some specifics. I think we can broaden the application though. I think there are some general principles here about how we can live consistent Christian lives that are both truthful and loving. The media, workplaces, universities, schools, our sporting and community groups are increasingly becoming places where anti-Christian lifestyles and values are not only celebrated and accepted but aggressively pushed. I think we're all aware of some of the things that are happening. And so in the midst of all of that, we need to be people who imitate Jesus. Don't we? It's really just as simple as that. Jesus was full of grace and truth. John 14, John 1.14 Ephesians 4.15 says we're to speak the truth in love. Now I think in our current climate, Christians need to be emphasising more of the love than the truth. I think up to this point, uh, I don't think there's been a problem with how our truth message has been received. Now, Lots of people misunderstand what our true message is but I think they all know what we think about morality. But before we get the chance to be able to clear up some of those misunderstandings we need to do a lot more work on communicating love in practical ways to our neighbours and our workmates and our friends. Now that's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. Now, what do you do when you're invited to your first same-sex wedding? But to John is teaching us that there is a way through where love and truth are maintained. We'll need the wisdom of God's spirit. We'll need prayer. We'll need each other. 
to talk through these things, to navigate a wise way through. We need each other to support and keep accountable, keep us accountable. John talks about that, the fellowship, the joy that comes from that sort of fellowship. Verse 4, the joy when he experiences children walking in the truth. Verse 12, he's got a longing to see them face to face in fellowship so that joy can be complete. That's how we, we live together so we can then go out and walk in truth and love. I want to finish with part of Israel Folau's most recent statement. Just come out in the last week or so. My guess is he spoke to some brothers and sisters and, and, and thought about a, a wise way to better explain his position and it's a great example of how, how truth and love work together. Now, let me quote. People's lives are not for me to judge. Only God can do that. I've, I have sinned many times in my life. I ask for forgiveness repent, through repentance daily. I understand a lot of people won't agree with some of the things I'm about to write. That's absolutely fine. In life, you're allowed to agree to disagree. I want to explain what I believe in, how I arrived at these beliefs and why I will not compromise my faith in Jesus Christ, which is the cornerstone of every single thing in my life. I hope this will provide some context to the discussion that started with a reply to a question asked of me two weeks ago. I read the Bible every day. It gives me a sense of peace I have not been able to find in any other area of my life. It gives me direction. It answers my questions. I believe that it is a loving gesture to share passages from the Bible with others. Do you see that? Love and truth. I do it all the time when people ask me questions about my faith or things relating to their lives, whether in person or on social media. Two weeks ago I tore my hamstring. I was told I'd be on the sidelines for a month. Finding out I would miss three or four games was disappointing and frustrating. I accepted the news and started looking ahead. That afternoon I put up the following post referring to James 1, 2-4. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance so that you may be lacking in nothing. In the comments section I was asked a question by someone about what God's plan is for gay people. My response to the question is what I believe God's plan is for all sinners according to my understanding of my Bible teachings specifically 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I do not know the person who asked the question but that doesn't matter. I believed he was looking for guidance and I answered him honestly from the heart. I know a lot of people find that difficult to understand but I believe that the Bible is the truth and sometimes the truth can be difficult to hear. I think of it this way. You see someone who's about to walk into a hole and you have the chance to save him. He might be determined to maintain his course and does not want to hear what you have to say but if you don't tell him the truth, as unpopular as it might be, he's going to fall into that hole. What what do you do? That was the end of his quote. It's great, isn't it, how love and truth are, are, are there together. 
speak the truth. Walk in love. The two go together. That's our message. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, truths. We thank you for this challenge. We pray that together you would give us the wisdom uh, to walk in truth and to walk in love for your glory. Amen.